Puttercast will be right back after a word from our sponsor. I catch it in my mouth, you catch it in your mouth, we catch it in our mouth. I catch it in my mouth, you catch it in your mouth, we catch it in our mouth, in our mouth. Snitches!
the way they like mainline into their crowd spirit and move everybody to, to motion is amazing. Yeah, hearing the potters, you know, more than anything else, I feel like people that aren't in this fandom, but they like Harry Potter and they've kind of heard about it. If you say like, oh, I'm going to uh, like a, a Harry Potter convention or whatever, like one of the first questions I was get asked is, are Harry the Potters going to be there? Because they know that that's a thing. Yeah. yeah it's always fun to be like, little Harry, Potter, like, oh yeah, I know them. I went on tour with them a couple of times. <laughs> Before we went on the first tour, we were in LA starting the tour and it was at this big show at the Los Angeles oh, Library. Funny. And we were we were doing our little dance right there. Yep. And that's before it was part of the podcast. Yep. And you guys were just staying at my house because yep. I was like, Be my friend. We love Frankie. Um, yeah, that was also the day that Wandy Corn. Oh my gosh, Wandy Corn. Yep, and I drew Wandy Corn. Well they they it was hit their thing. Right. Yes. And, and we played the baseball games. What game? Remember the baseball game? The softball game? We played. Were you there for that? Right? I don't remember. So. We played a softball game against Harry Potter. You know, they have a thing that they like. They like get obsessed with certain things. When they, so now it's now it's their sandwiches. And um, before it was like they were obsessed with like beating us in softball. They were playing softball in every city. Um, wiffle ball. Wiffle ball. We have video with the balls going over our hands and legs. Like, yeah, I wasn't part of that. At one point, I like missed and I threw the bat down and I went, I run a website! <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we've been trying to figure out what would be the fun topic to talk to you guys about here. Obviously, in addition to LeakyCon. And um, we settled on two big things, which I think are probably the two bigger things happening right now. What's that? Casting you. Oh, Frax. Thank you, too. Yes, thanks. Thank you, Frank. Um, one of them being the Pottermore, um, the, the uh, Makusa origin uh, stories, and uh, leading into the Fantastic Beasts film, and uh, what we know now and what we expect to see uh, in the film coming out. And uh, I don't think we're going to be doing any spoilers, even though I know that there are some out there already. Um, Melissa, you saw the first 10 minutes of the film, so you can spoil us about that. But, um, uh, when you hear about the latest podcast, I will rediscuss the first 10 minutes. Uh, it's just quick overall impressions that it seems very adult, which seems like a like kind of like the thing to say because we're not in school, but it's new for us, you know, to see just fully functioning adult wizards who know what they're doing. <laughs> McGonagall and Snape, but just like keep camera on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing cool. They're doing cool stuff. Also, a particular note is that the effects have come so far, even since 2011, that it is so seamless in a way that, I, yeah. Is it flashy or is it more like way more stuff happens? No, it's not flashy at all. I don't even think I saw one the first time. Maybe I did with Colin Farrell's character, but it's it's very well. It opens on um, a, a Grindelwald attack. A Grindelwald. There's like a. No. I, no, the first, I've, I've been first, avoiding everything, so this is all random. It's fine. The very first things are, are, are uh, newspapers. There's a newspaper. You're running through like one of those like where newspapers are flying. You know, it's really like the, the, 
one day. Yeah, and it's like telling you things about the magical world in America and how like there's a creature ban and like it's like the effect of Grindelwald and and, and, um, and there is some sort of confrontation you see with somebody who we must assume at this point is Grindelwald and other wizards. Does he have curly golden hair? He has like weird like shaved bottom head with back blonde under like it's like undercut. It's like one of those like bare hairs. He, he looks a little it's a little nineties. Even though it's twenties, <laughs> he's like totally shaved here. You see, there's a big, it's, it's like a stack of his head. It's like a, it's like a crew cut. It's like a, It's not like from *Inglorious Bastards*, like Tom, like the. No, all you see is the back of his head. It's like oh. white hair, gold hair, like this. White hair. Um, yeah. Well, well, uh, once he had golden. I know. I think. Yeah. Golden hair, but um, and apparently Dumbledore's in there someplace in a trailer someplace. <laughs> seen the trailers, so I've avoided the trailers. Yeah. I've watched I'm every phrase. I normally avoid the trailers, but I've seen probably, not all of them, but definitely more of them than some of these guys. And without spoiling, I think I can say, and as is pretty obvious, they hold most of the big special effects shots for when they're finished, obviously, which is now closer to the release, and the more recent spots that would come out featured a lot more of the actual Fantastic Beasts. And where they're hiding. Well, not so much in the hiding spots, but I was just taken aback by how much better they've gotten at uh, making these, um, you know, creatures blend in so seamlessly. And when you think about the earlier movies, where you know it was such a huge deal to see a house elf and such a huge deal to see Buckbeak, and how you actually had to um, see Buckbeak and feel emotion for Buckbeak, so when he could face the axe later on, you actually cared. And uh, being able to do that effectively on film is, is not an easy task. And this movie, this fantastic beast, I think it's fair to say we're going to see a lot of different creatures that we are going to want to feel for in the same way that we would imagine Newt feels for uh, these creatures themselves, because he obviously cares a lot about them. Um, it's like his, his passion, so to be able to communicate that through the, the film for us means that they're going to have to put a lot of effort into giving them personality and, uh, you know, feelings. Yeah, and when they die, they'll be sad. Just the few little shots that we've seen now in the TV spots of them, like, it's so impressive. There's you so know, little bit of was like yours. Um, if, like, if, like, this was shaved. Okay. It was like this in the back. Uh-huh, red or <laughs> Are we still on Frankie's hair again? What are we talking about here? It's <laughs> always different. You're like Teddy Lupin over here. <laughs> Yeah, we like making everybody cry. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. For everybody listening at home, we're talking about the play 
that has been taking place here at LakeyCon in different chapters. Yep. All of those will be on YouTube, yep, I'm sure, already, if they're not already there. They're, all, they're, they're, they're already there. Yeah, they're, they're really, really quickly uploading them. That, so, can you all, talk a little bit about how that came together or whose idea this was? There's a whole panel on it. So our opening ceremonies have evolved over the years. We're always looking for a new way into it because we've, we've done, you know, we've done the thing where every special guest has a moment. We've done the thing where we create huge musical parody numbers. We've done, we've done the thing where everybody does a big dance for a, a song that we made. You know, we've done a lot of the things. Um, and so I um, was not even part of this this year for maybe the first time. And um, Jordan and his team just whipped up this incredible thing. Eliza, our staff, Eliza wrote it, wrote all of it, um, with input from the, the staff, obviously. Everybody was like, it was like a collaborative, you know, everybody would go to the drafts and say, maybe this is a joke, and can we write this, can we, you know, can we fix this continuity error, or like, you know, whatever. Um, and they really have created something so special. And I was nervous about the piecemeal manner, nature of it, but. Yeah. Was it always planned to be coming out in different pieces, or did you just start writing it and realize there was a lot of story and you didn't want to do it all at once? I believe it was always planned to be taking you through the weekend, and if you are vigilant, there is other stuff happening, always. Who saw Mondongas yesterday? Mondongas Fletcher was in the hallways trying to really? get you to buy, um, you can look on the YouTube channel, there's a video of it, it's incredible. He pulls yoga pants out of his wand sleeve. <laughs> And he's got like Christmas, it's amazing. And he is played by our staffer, Joshua Key, who just happens to be. No, he was the nugget. You've got to watch it. I know, I haven't it's, seen this. I've watched it three times. <laughs> it's amazing. He tried, he tried those yoga pants. He's like flapping them. Oh my gosh. Amazing. He got like the big, you know, the chains. Like, yeah, that's so funny. They, they, what, what's clear about that is that this, this, this is the creative team that they have been having just such an incredible time together creating this. They're so invested in it. And yeah, there's going to be a whole panel about this, I think, on, tomorrow. On, on Sunday, like cool. a week from now. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Will the last piece of it be at like the closing thing, or will yes. it have already happened? We will close at the close. Cool, cool. <laughs> and then maybe we'll open another box at the close. Yeah. Awesome. Who's excited about that box? Mm -hmm. Alright, All right, so we have Makuza to talk about, don't we? Makuza. We're talking about the Pottermore stories about Makuza. Who has read them or who has not read them? I would imagine a lot of you have. A few of you haven't. That's okay. Do you care that we talk about it? No. No big spoilers. So we need to sort out some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't catch this until you pointed it out, so it's interesting. I'm confused, and it, it's possible that they have a reason, that it's all reasoned out and we'll find out. Makuza was founded, it says in the story, in 1693. And Makuza stands for the Magical Congress of the United States of America, which didn't exist in 1693. So there's that. So maybe it was renamed and they just didn't note that in the story. Fine. Then there's a character who goes to Washington in 1777 to do a speech, except that Washington didn't exist until 1791. Like, there was General Washington, and he was fighting the war, so I doubt she, like, appeared at the General Washington and gave a speech. Oh, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. We need to give a speech. I see no, what you mean now, like, it was named community. after him. Yeah, it was named after what he I was had. like, that location was just there. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, wait. And there's just some clear continuity things, and Americans just sort of like, mm, 
did you notice this or read it somewhere who pointed it out? When I first read the story, I was like, oh, is that, what am I missing? And then I felt like a fool because nobody was really talking about it. It wasn't any of the news stories about it. And I'm thinking, I don't catch it. Am I, is this like the Empire Without, with no clothes? Am I not, am I, like, am I totally misremembering American history and Hamilton? Like, what yeah. is going on? But yeah, it seems like it's just, so, so what do we think? What do we think is going on there? I mean, I think that we're, taught, we're looking at, you know, the fact that this was just the introduction to it, and it's already a lot to swallow, and that most likely, Makuza is just the most recent incarnation of what they're calling it, and previously it was called I, something else. That's certainly going to be how they explain it in the future. <laughs> um, I like the notion, and I was just, we were just this briefly a little bit ago, of uh, that... They called themselves the United States of America, and that's what caused the United States of America to be named the United States of America. Because I'm sure some of the founding fathers, fathers had to be wizards. Some of them. And so, like, it's kind of, it's a fun little notion. Going to Washington, I can't rationalize that any which way. Unless they're just referring to it as Washington now, and it was just, they just went to... Then, like... Goes to Washington, then known as like somebody didn't. Oh, I, I agree, but I'm just saying. Who else caught it while you were reading? Not many people caught it. Well, yeah, we're Americans. Not only do we not know there are other countries, we don't know our own well, history. That's the thing. I feel like if it's if it's a glaringly obvious thing, then there's got to be more to it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I just think that's a pretty big hole. That's, I mean, I'm time turners excluded from the situation. Are they ever excluded from the situation? Yeah. Yeah. Let's throw that out of the window. Like, well, it could be a time turner. Like, that's it, it's it's years difference. Like, don't say no. You never know. Well, well I mean, they they talk about time turners. The most <laughs> the most years. was like five years, and that was devastating. Yeah, they have oh, yeah, like yeah. caused time to change so that. Uh, the day that she got back, like, what is it? Like, Tuesday was shorter, Wednesday was longer. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, they aged with the time. Like, yeah. time turners are typically for hours at a time. Nothing in Cursed Child is canon. I know, that's so what I'm right. saying. That's why we can't see it so far removed. It's also not not canon. Like, it's like in this middle band. Where it's because it doesn't, it, the, the, it, the story is intact. It's not like it if it changed the sto the actual story of the seven books in any way, I'd be like, right, that is like totally not canon. But it's like it's like a ball of sandwich. It's like you could have the sandwich without it. You could have the I have, just have a hard time believing that that much playing with the time stream. Like it's the time stream stuff that bothers yeah. me. It's that yeah. like and just the mechanics of the magic magic in that world with the time travel was a little like well, it does back and forth and like having Albus remember him like. Like, it's just all this time stuff that would have been, it's too nuanced. It's fun for a story, I loved it. It's a great, great yeah. story. But I just, like, the mechanics of time travel, I don't see canon. I mean, I've always been bothered by time turners, especially when it was such the quick suggestion of Dumbledore to be like, okay, kids, go mess with time to save Buckbeak. And me, Albus Dumbledore, I've never used a time turner for anything more important than that. But it's at the tip of my tongue to suggest that you guys do it. Like, come on. Like, you would think Elvis with anybody else who can turn invisible, basically, you know, without any extra magic. He would be a time lord at that point. Like, he would know all about doing this. If he would suggest it for them to do it, he would be good at it himself. I could see him not... Like, understanding that the time, messing the time is bad, and he's the control in the situation. He was at 
the at the hut, and so he knew that it was like he knew that three-hour window that was buffered from the outside isn't going to affect. But what I'm saying though is that if he knows all of that, yeah, then, uh, that would suggest that he's had some experience with the time turners, and that because nothing really went dramatically wrong with their little trip, he would have no reason to stop using them but up until the point where uh, a history of magic dying and dying isn't going to affect the wizarding world. You understand, I'm not disputing any of that. What I'm saying is that it's a stupid device because there's no reason why he wouldn't continue using them. He's like looking for these uh, horcruxes and he puts one on his finger and kills himself slowly. Why wouldn't he go back with the time turner to write himself a little note being like, hey, old Albus, don't put it on your finger. It will kill you. Like, because so that's the kind of change that would really seriously unravel things. He knows that. And that the reason he put it on his finger wasn't a trick. He talked about how he was just so enamored by the third hallow, and it was it, he was seduced by the hallow. And right. so it him, it wasn't like a, a cognitive decision. It was almost this emotional place. Yeah, you know, but if he had a warning, then he knew it was like he, he knew. knew it was all in the Horcrux. That's a warning. Like he, he knows don't if he had a, if he had a written don't warning. He would, have a, he would have like a written letter that he could be like, you know, Doc, put on your bulletproof vest, or you're gonna get killed. And like he would have, it would have occurred to him. He's a very smart man. But that would have been the happy ending, and we weren't supposed to get that for him. Because he would also know that saving a hippogriff might seem like a really simple little thing to do, but it could have disastrous repercussions in and the future. And maybe it does. And maybe it, and maybe it does. Who, who knows? I mean, think about Incursed Child and the little silly little things that they did having big dramatic consequences. Like it's all, Cursed Child is not canon. And big Joe realized in Azkaban that, you know, this was... Big dramatic not, consequences. Yeah. Every single one of them brought from my ear in love. Throughout every lesson Hermione went back for. It's certainly a cute story, and it's certainly nice to revisit some of these characters and see what might have happened in alternative universes and to see how they would have aged into adults and this and that. But uh, specifically with the time-turning stuff, it just opens up way too many other potential possibilities of what could have happened, which maybe even should have happened in the other Harry Potter books that uh, I just disregarded. And the proof is that J.K. Rowling and Pottermore put out a whole primer after Cursed Child, which included the fact that the Time Turners were in fact destroyed, and that would have been an easy opportunity for her to be like, but also some weird Death Eater was experimenting on a special one for the Malfoys, and that one survived. Like, she did it. She said, nope, they're done. And I think that was a real subtle way of her saying, it's not canon, so stop bugging me about it. <laughs> I don't think so. I think that, that material was probably... There's no reason they couldn't have changed it if they wanted to. Sure, she's a busy lady. She's got movies to write. <laughs> Does it change the way you look at certain things that happen in the story in relation to how they're affected by the cursed child? Like Cedric in the Maze. Do I think differently about that now? Do you think that actually happened in the Maze? Well, I mean... If you, I mean, it depends, like, time-traveling theory in fiction, like, there's lots of different schools of thought here, and the most common one is, you know, if it happened in any timeline, then it happened in all of them. Right. And so we would have to imagine that what we read about in book four and what we saw happen to Cursed Child all happened. Like, it, it was never any, any different because then you just unlock this paradox of just 
you know, it's super confusing, and that's why it's, it's already a complicated enough series. It's one big closed circuit of events. Yeah. Whoever, but then, then you have to ask the question, are there any choices? Because if it's a big closed circuit of events, then nobody made them time travel, yeah. they were going to time travel. I mean, well, so in, in um, First Child, it's not a closed circuit, because that's how we're getting the parallel dimensions. And so, like, it's, it's more of a Back to the Future right. concept where... You go here, and you're creating alternate timelines. And maybe that is exactly how Harry Potter is, except for the alternate dimension we went into is the one with the rest of the story. Yeah, that's true. Cool. But that means that means that uh, there's another Scorpius dimension. never found the real Albus because he went back to yeah. another parallel. But that's what I'm saying. Like we don't know the roads that we just get to see. I'm confused. What? Time travel. <laughs> Something that has nothing to do with time travel. How, when you reread the series, will you feel every time they're on the train to Hogwarts and you, and you know the woman selling them sweets? That was a monster. Bad shit, crazy thing I've ever seen. What in the world was that? Like, I felt like at that point I was looking around and being like, am I just really tired right now? Did I fall asleep? Like, what's yes. going on? folks around me if it was real life like that was the one thing that I was like okay if you need a magical device to keep kids from jumping off a train the, train the trolley fast. witch turning into Freddy Krueger is your last option oh my god she's don't let them get out the windows and the doors yeah spell that stuff seal them yeah. <laughs> you're magic aren't you so I mean, no, was, it, was it insane absolutely insane but I don't think that that woman the character uh, has ever been more happy than that moment <laughs> child and imagine the glee on her face throwing a, a bomb made of pumpkin candy. Bomb. Oh my god, the pumpkin She was so, she's like the hot dog. Yeah. And where was she during the Battle of Hogwarts? She right? Was, she was, she was, like, <laughs> you're going through all this other trouble of like bringing giants. Like you can just call up the trolley lady. Did she have wings? Am I imagining wings? I, oh, I, I, I didn't see it. Wings. I just read it. It's certainly not possible. I'm sure she had just I had wings. I like a big gargoyle, wings and claws. Yeah. She's They're like, like okay, let's stay on this train. Oh, no. How about we get, get all yeah. things faster now? How could they ever ride the bus to school again, or the train to school again after that? I would be terrified. I'd be like, no matter, please. Thank you. What does she do on the other, you know, 363 days of the year? Sharpens her claws. That's what I'm saying. Like, and makes all those candy. What and makes all those candy bombs. I'm looking forward to having that job. You know what I mean? I'm so worried about I kind of see her as a spell rather than a person. She's been doing so She's just like her. this phantasm that's attached right. to Hogwarts. Do you, think, do you think when she goes out and offers treats, what she's really doing is gathering intel on all the kids at the school? That's exactly what she's doing. Yeah. She's like the most interesting character now in maybe the entire series. Hogsmeade has a great, simple life that she hunts for all of her own food. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Children. She's probably the, the, the Goldilocks, like, the Cancer Grandma Witch, that's just been, like, she's been, what is the term, rehabilitated to not eat children. And so she sells candy to children as responsible. Oh, yeah. And so like, that's why she's happy, like, I can attack a kid again. Yeah. yeah. She was so happy about it, though. Yeah. She really was. And you know, it's like, oh, this is 
really funny. It's like, this is important stuff that we need to talk about. That's the trolley witch. It's all very important. Yeah, it is. It's all very important. I mean, just think about it. Like, we sent Hagrid to Azkaban without even questioning the trolley lady. Like, we're all worried about who's breaking into the castle in book three. No one looks at the trolley lady. You just think, oh, it's probably serious Black Cube, you know? No one looks at the trolley lady. That should have been a dead giveaway. Oh gosh. Like, you know, just don't mess with me, cursed child. Like, we can tear you to shreds with your long fingers if you want to. It's your own claws. Yes. Good that said, I'm sure it's super fun to see on stage, yeah. or maybe one day I'll get to do that and I'll be worth it. Yeah. But, uh, That's what I hear that when you see it, it's just remarkable. Wait, has anyone seen the play? Okay, the people that have seen the play, do her bombs really explode? Does she have wings? Does she have huge wings? Damn. Yeah. 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 Do you have claws? She does. Long? Yeah, they How long? Oh, I mean, that's just crazy. Oh, that's they too long. Right? You can't even stretch good. Does she hover? No. She has her walker on top of the train. Oh, a walker? walker. Does she throw the walker away? She holds her clothes. A walker? Or, or the trolley with the trees? Mm-hmm. That, and then Buckbeak had, had this. So he didn't 
he didn't like plan it. Fuck he noticed it and it's like, hey, Romani, do this thing. Like too big of a glaring error to make 
to be an actual to error. Be an accident. Yeah. Well, yeah. They have a breadth of work, and they, I mean, Joe and her. There could be some internal logic. Themselves. They prove themselves. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Something like this. Something like this happens. It's talked about at a convention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be some internal logic that we're unprivy to. So to them, it's relatively clear. You know, when you like, you need fresh eyes on something, and you're like, I didn't even see that. That was a mistake. Sure. I'm, I mean, look, I give, and I, I give, I give lots of leeway. I, I, I just feel like this was like an easy fix. Yeah, I mean, somebody could have been like, hey, so. you might want to just clarify what yeah, you need. Yeah, just go edit the page. Whoops. Whoops. Yeah, that's fine. Now, backing up a little bit, I love the idea that there might have been part of the magical community involved in like the founding of, of the country. And like if you think about like fighting the war between you know the colonies and, and England, that there could be some magical component oh, to that no. too. Like would they have had an interest in whether or not we had independence? Like would there have been wizards wizard. and witches because didn't want them to become part of the danger of America was that like they were talking about how I think they called scourers 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 um, they were uh, there were criminals from other wizarding countries going to America because of how lawless it was. Mm -hmm. And so then that's what, what caused the need for the Makuza. And then I, I was reading something about they had the 12 original horrors. One of them was rated in Harry Potter, which is really cool. Yeah. I didn't catch that yeah. the first time. Albert Potter. Yep. Albert? This oh, Abraham. Abraham, yeah, Abraham Lincoln. Potter. Yeah, one of them. Um, making it possible, making validating Mary Sue characters and figure fictions everywhere. The American, the American, like distant Potter relative that's always in a lot of fan fictions. Yeah. This yeah. kind of reminds me of of uh, there's this old film that used to be in California Adventure before the big revamp. Oh, where Lord Lord what I'm talking about. Lord Lord is. Golden Dreams. Yeah. Well, Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg was the California character Spirit of California. And she would go back to all these different moments in California history and kind of like give clues about what to say or what's going to happen or whatever. And it's like, it kind of makes me think about like, what if there was little witches and wizards that were like helping like all of the early Americans figure things out and uh, you know if, if if we were to put ourselves back into this mindset and there were magical people and they had kind of like a an, an, an interest in, in the muggles and uh, or the nomages or whatever they would have called them back then and you know maybe they didn't have the idea of like a non-interference you know, clause or like a prime directive, if you will, um, to not influence them too much. I would imagine that they would be helping in, in some in some way, particularly for like the big things like wars and uh, you know peace and government and you know, things like that. So I, I do hope that we learn a little bit more about you know what was going on back then. But for that matter, I feel like we don't even know all that much about what was happening. You know in uh, England and Scotland and all of that in a similar time. Like we know that the founders were not the first generation of Yeah, okay, this could be a dumb question probably. Where is Benjamin Franklin from? Boston. He's born and raised in Boston? He did silence. Was he? So he's an American national. I would love it if he was a wizard. Let's just make it. I was gonna I was gonna say that. Because like when he and then, was ill promoting. He was older at the time of the Can we just decide that he's a wizard? <laughs> yeah. 
he was too old to ever be considered to run for president, so he was always just kind of like counsel to everybody. He was too old. So that would be like a perfect kind of like, you know, he could be like their, their Merlin, essentially. Oh, that oh that'd be fun. Nice. Really, so wait, really cool. Yeah. That is really very popular. Okay. That was golden. He probably be born And that's what this is exciting. Yes. Not just yeah. because we're from America. Most of us here. Because this is what this is what Joe did for Britain. You know what I mean? And we read seven books of it. Can you imagine whether it's delivered to us through five films or the five films or what I'm hoping uh, the genesis of a greater Harry Potter Wizarding World project down the road? I'm hoping uh, we get to learn all about you know the foundation of a country growing with the Wizarding World involved in it. That's something that you could have done with Britain, because, I mean, in the scope of Harry Potter, because it was well-established. England had been around for a very long time at that point. Yeah. But the fact that we're, even even going back to 1926 with Fantastic Beasts, like, that's still, you know, close to 100 years ago right now. The country is young now, and it was much younger then. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's pretty fascinating that we're going to get some of that structure, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that, I'm just so excited that, like, America uh, is finally getting some, you know, being represented in, you know, movies and media, uh, because they're so underrepresented now, and it just, it's good to make communities more, you know, represented in these, like, a white male Yeah. Yeah. About time. Yeah. No, there is, the president of who's in the movies is African American. Oh, I know. It's going to be so cool. Yeah. We have, it's a 50 minute or a 90 minute? 90. 90. So, Ooh. you guys, like, you guys want to just open up to whatever you want to talk about, whether it's Fantastic Beasts, Canon yeah, we'll Counters from back in the day, anything can, we'll just do Q&A for the rest of the time. Because yeah, like, that's fine. I think there's a microphone up here we should also you guys do the spell want to make a line. What's the spell game? I have not practiced for the spell oh, game. Oh, the duel, John can explain. The dueling game? Yeah. Where you try to uh, name as many spells as you can back and forth. I haven't done that so long, you guys. I don't know. So if you want to start forming a line, if you have questions or or yeah, don't be shy. We'll answer answer anything. So if you want, if you have questions or things you want to talk about, you're a part of it. Yeah. Hello. We can hear you. Speak loud. We got. Or you're just gonna get a. Well, listen. Can you talk about your involvement with Pottermore? In as much as I can do without getting sued. First, it was a whole different site and a whole different theory. It has changed site. It's changed a lot. Um, but I did a lot of reading of those texts, the the canon stuff. I was like fan central, you know. So if there was a question about fandom or if there was a question about um, the canon, um, and I would I would Google everything to make sure. And I was working on like a massive timeline of. Of everything that happened in the books, I was like trying, even though I don't think I don't think it was at all necessary, and I don't think it actually was followed, and it wasn't certainly wasn't dictated by anybody. But I was trying desperately to figure out exactly where every shop in Dying and Happily was, based on like Harry turned around and went into Florian Fortescue's, which was Florian Florian Like it was like the most fun job in the world. <laughs> it was just like I'm just gonna make I'm gonna make this all make perfect sense and I discovered even though so I was I was reading um, one and two a lot my my chamber of secrets literally the pages were just falling out at the end and rereading book three 
I discovered a whole uh, time hole that I'd never seen before and I'd never seen. So I can't remember all the details, and I'll, maybe I'll, I'll write it out, put it on whatever product I say, okay, go again. There is a, a logical like month missing. And it's not that like, oh, we don't hear about what happened in the month. It's like, if you track like Harry's practice, and then somebody says it's April, but he says two weeks, and then he had, pra- he had the oh, stuff cool. at night for a week. It just doesn't, there's like a missing hole, a missing month. Which, I don't, like, who cares, you know? Who cares? But to me, I was like, what I found that nobody's found before, you know? Um, so it was a lot of, like, fun stuff like that. And I would um, um, do whatever anybody needed. And I would look at, like, the drawings and advise on them. It was very, it was very consultory. But it was all of that, all, everything was Joe. Um, in the conception and execution of all of it. I was just like a, like a, uh, a little, a, a fan, a fan helper. It was great, it was great. What a, when I, <laughs> when they offered that, I was just like, am I, am I alive right now? Like, what's going on? And it was a fantastic time, but then eventually, they didn't really need me anymore. Like, like I don't know, I just kind of sensed that like it, it wasn't really necessary. And LeakyCon 11 had just happened, and I wanted to get back here, and I missed, you know, I missed my house, I missed my cat, and I wanted to get back here. And, but I'll tell you, the fun, the most fun part of the Pottermore experience for me in, those, in that time was that for 10 months, I didn't tell anybody Moved. So like, I wouldn't tweet before a certain time of day because it would look really bizarre. And people, one time I did, I forgot, and I tweeted. So I was like, "What are you doing awake?" And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you know." So I was so I felt like I was like pulling off a little covert mission. I had a boyfriend over there too. I didn't even tell anybody about it because because if I said, "Here's my boyfriend who lives in England," people would be like, <laughs> "You know, it was totally other life." Players, some questions. Hello. The response to Girl's Child and Ill Morning. I think. So wait, you're question. saying you're saying that there's good response to Ill Morning and negative response to Girl's Child, and you thought it'd be flipped. Negative, like people don't like it, or just more like it's not canon. Well, I mean, we're, we're comparing hundreds of pages to like a dozen pages, so that's difficult. And if we can really fill in the blanks with our imagination right now with Little Morning and oh, Girl's Child has almost like been over-imagined in certain ways. And in those ways, I think, are what people are saying they don't like necessarily some of this stuff. But uh, Because I, I, we read Girl's Child together, and I still really enjoy it. But the more distance I get from my first exposure to it, the more I see it as kind of like a satellite, yeah. like alternate reality versions and part of the canon timeline. Um, but I don't think that's bad. I thought it was so much fun. And Scorpius, like, was wonderful, yeah. and Albus was cool, yeah. and it was just nice seeing some, like, legit Slytherins that there weren't, like, Malfoy. It's hard to hate anything. We're just like anything brought up Scorpius. Scorpius is Yeah, exactly. He's, it, he's kind of reminds me of, like, how Harley Quinn, she was an invention on the animated series of Batman, and she was such a huge hit that she got introduced into the main canon of the comic book universe. And that's why I kind of see Scorpius as like he was brilliant. So now that is Scorpius, he's my canon Scorpius for sure. For sure. But everything else is like yeah, I don't know if that happened, but that's who he is. Also, I love Dilbert Morning. Well, we got on Pottermore. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. I know these guys do, but I don't know if you guys feel the same way. It was like it was it was so magical reading that backstory and learning the history. Oh, the backstory was great, especially with um, 
Slytherin's like great great granddaughter or whatever, yeah. and, and her wanting to go to Hogwarts but never getting to go to Hogwarts, which is like such a nice little like insight into how we all feel, or at least how I feel. Yeah. Like I went to Hogwarts, but I never did. And so like she kind of did that, and then like and I like because at first I was gonna I didn't like the idea of I, I wanted a reason for an American wizarding school to have four houses. Because otherwise it just seemed, that's like a British thing. Like right. here it wouldn't have been. And so the fact that it was this woman teaching children some magic and they were, they grew up on these stories of, well she grew up on these stories like of Hogwarts. And so she shared it with the kids and it was the kids idea. Like we need houses like Hogwarts. And she was like, sure. And like, mine, what's your favorite animal? Like, like I, I don't, like I think she was just like, like uh, appeasing the kids, you know? Like, sure, we're gonna make houses, this is great. Now, this is what I want to teach you magic, let's calm down. And so like, the fact that that happened and grew into the school makes me really kind of like warm and fuzzy. And a muggle chose the animal for one of the houses. Yeah, I love that. that. Yeah, you'd think and America it's so like a lot. I've met so many puckwitches, and so the fact that like a muggle got to choose a house, it's just it's so, it's so fun. So this is about first child. I was wondering what each of you thought about Voldemort having a child. Mister Madison's staff is is warring about this right now. Just just oh my god, huh? I will, I can't represent their opinions because you guys have to. I go first. Um, for me, it was interesting. Um, I don't know if it fits. Uh, Voldemort was so keen on his immortality. I don't think he would have. Maybe that's a weird Horcrux to him, like this Horcrux. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I think it is. That so, it is another way to get immortality. Yeah. And I think for Bellatrix, it's. Oh, Bellatrix, I have no doubt she wanted to do that. Oh, of course. She's a psychopath. She had yeah. no motherly feeling. She has no, she's actually like, like probably like, like an actual, use the word literally, psychopath. She has no empathy, no, no, no feeling toward it. It was a prize to her. She, yeah. she was given his, you know, she was chosen to carry on the Voldemort line. For her, that's like I don't even think that for Voldemort, he might even be thinking this is good for some spells later. Like, he could care less. He might need, he used the power of his father. Or like, yeah. Also, this Slytherin line, you should think that was it's just never seemed to be part of his plan. Like, he was thinking Horcruxes since he was at Hogwarts. And he, as much as he wanted to be immortal, it was never in that way. It was yeah, never about, like, having... Yeah, in my head, the only reason it wasn't to have a child, it was to, this might come in handy. Same. And I definitely think that there was nothing natural about that conception. I think there's 100% some weird magical, you know, uh, thing happening there. And we've talked before, I think, either on Pottercast or before some Pottercasts, perhaps. About some of your theories? About, you know, like, what is available to people who have magic in terms of pregnancies and giving birth and, uh, you know, for all of the different ways that we've developed, like, you know, cesarean sections and things. What's the magical equivalent to this? Could you just summon, or could you, like, uh, you know, some, you know, use, like, some kind of porky to, like, put a little porky up there and just be like, here you go. You know, something, you know, certainly this hasn't been happening for years. They come up with more comfortable ways of giving birth. Why not? You know, you have you the magic so Along that 
and she will never explain how Voldemort got that. Yeah, body. and I think that John's theory on it is bang on correct. Yeah, for that so we've never talked about how Potterface was. It's a little bit too gruesome. Yeah, what's yeah, that? The, Your uh, theory about how the baby came to be in book four, the oh, baby thing. Right. Yeah, the fetus body. I think you are. I don't know if I even remember what the hell I said. <laughs> we were. It, should, we, should we do it? Give me a clue. Give me a clue. Because it is, guys, this is like gross. I guess, I mean, J.K. Rowling said she wouldn't even tell the mechanics. I, I'm sure John's right. And so uh, we were talking about it one time, and it's pretty much along the lines that Peter Pettigrew found a pregnant lady, took the fetus, and put Voldemort inside of it. Yeah, he possessed the fetus. And so that's how we got a body. I like that. Oh, Until okay. Joe tells me otherwise, I think that is. Yeah, yeah. In my head, I'm like, yeah, yeah. He was able to possess, and it's dark. Because it's a, it's a, it's a baby thing that's mutated. So it doesn't look like a baby that looks sort of like Voldemort. It's still an unformed mouth. It's like yeah. not fully. She. Yeah. She was really clear about what the limitations were for Voldemort able to possess. And, um, you know, I think, if I'm remembering this right, he was possessing animals for a little while. And they just can't handle it. He he possessed Quirrell, but only to the effect of being a part of him. He wasn't able to be on uniform blood. I think he was formed and he was fighting him. Right. And he had to be on uniform blood to even sustain it. But a baby would be very easy comparatively to overpower to the point where, you know, it never even had a chance to develop its own self. It was, he just took over and... Next uh, question. Yeah. podcast just become Yeah, next question. So we're talking about bringing Pottercast.com back so we can have an easier way to see all the episodes and all the transcripts and all the show notes, but I'd really love to have um, a little feature where we can uh, open it up for submissions for questions that we would love Joe to answer and open it up in a way where people could vote them up and down so we could have a running like top 10 list of questions for Joe and allow you guys to help us form this. So if we did ever have the chance to interview her again, it would be like a crowdsourced interview. But in, you know, I'll also open up for the possibility that uh, rather than her occasionally seeing on Twitter somebody asking her a question and just kind of making that question catch her eye, in that moment we could direct her to something where potentially thousands of fans could have voted um, for a particular question to be answered. And I think about how much fun we had interviewing her for the podcast and how much we did think about what we wanted to ask. I still remember there were some people that emailed in being like, why did you spend time asking about this? Like, you should have asked about this and this. And it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, it kind of sucks to read that, but, you know, because I think we did a good job and we had fun with it and did what we could do. And we're never going to get to answer all of them. But uh, to have a way to more efficiently wean down the list of you know big lingering questions, I think that would be a cool thing to do. That said, do we have any right now that we would really want to ask her about? I feel like every once in a while we think of one, and, and then we, we're not recording it. And we say let's add it to the list, and yeah. there was no list, <laughs> and so it just evaporates. We're, we'll need your, your guys' help to like pull the stuff we like mentioned on podcast as a question to ask Joe uh, and put it all together. Yeah. 
I don't know what I would have. I would just want to know about the founders. And the, the, like, I, I would want to know how each founder died. That'd be a fun question to ask, if she, if she had answers for that. I've sort of reached a place with the canon where, even though I do, I, I'm very much a, like, let's piece this all together and figure it out because sometimes it gives you more understanding. I'm also sort of like fine about the inconsistencies, that's what you're missing 24 hours, like all that stuff, it's fine. Guys, it's a story, it's so much, it's so fun. And those are not the thing, that those are not the reasons any of us read the story, we read it because oh, it's yeah. fantastic characters and it's a fantastic plot and it's a fantastic emotional beasts. grounding and beasts. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I'm less about like, I need to know about Mark Evans or I need to know how many students are, I do want to know all that stuff, but it doesn't help me the way it used to in the beginning. Yeah, I just want to know about stuff if she had a plan. Anybody want to know about the veil? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else's dreams? What's in the love room? Yes. Thank you. That's what I'm looking She talked about that on podcast. She talked about what's in the love room. It's it's. She said she didn't. She talked about that on podcast. That there would be like a very powerful love potion or something. Well, you guys made a joke about it being like a like No, I think she talked to you. Maybe I'm misremembering, but that there would be like a super powerful love potion that they were always testing and trying to figure out. I don't know. Uh, well, I don't want it to be something more than a love potion. <laughs> I mean, not like there's a potion in the center of the room, but I think she did. I have to check the transcript, but I think she mentioned the love. Well, I mean, okay, let's think about this. So, if we knew that the thing that caused the killing curse to rebound for the first time ever in recorded magical history, that should be a huge thing that any magical scholar would want to study. And I don't know who outside of Dumbledore and people close to Harry knew that it was because his mother basically sacrificed herself in a way that never happened before. But regardless, that's, there's some magic happening there that's worth further study. So I wouldn't be surprised if this room was the response by the ministry to study yeah. how exactly Harry was able to survive. I, well, that's interesting. I think sure that that's what that's what they're probably studying in there after that point. But the ministry was built around the veil, and it's nothing seemed, to do with the veil. No, no, no. no, no but but the, the it's all in the same physical space. Yeah. And if the mystery is built around the veil, you have to think that they're like. What are the great mysteries of the universe? There's there's space and bond and time, and that's how they've kind of turned it out. Yep. It, it can't be that once this happened with Voldemort, they were like, well, now we should study love. I think they were probably studying love. But the, I like that notion of the love room better, just like the nature and mechanic of love versus yeah. just like as a force of the universe. Love potion, I don't like that because that just seems like why would the ministry study ways? They're not saying that that's all they're doing because yeah, yeah. one of the main things in there is like. The, the mechanics and stuff is like they're trying to figure out how to manipulate it, maybe, and that's probably to channel it as well. Yeah. Yeah. because yeah, it was it was space, death, love, and time. Those are the rooms we saw. Another one. You know, saw Brain, the mind, Brain mind memories. So there's time. space, mind, time. So, I would read a whole different series about people who work for the department. That's what I'm saying. There were 12 That would be super cool. 12. I'd love to know more. That stuff I would love to know, like, just extra information. And now I would really love to know just how much more she thought all of that stuff out. Because we know that she would fill up notebooks as she was writing, and maybe she fleshed out a whole lot more than we ever got hold of because it was never, you know, furthering the plot. So. Those are the sort of things that I like to ask her about. Not so much, whatever happened to uh, you know, Zachariah Smith? Did he ever uh, go get a job? Uh, He's here. Is he here? Like Sean. <laughs> but you know, it's like, I want to know more about the, that foundational stuff that 
kind of was thought of at the same time as something else interesting that actually made it into the book. So that's the kind of stuff that we should add to that new section on podcast.com. You know, questions about Heartland of Mysteries. Next question. Yeah, so um, I just want to know what you guys think of why did Voldemort not appear to Harry when Harry used the port key from um, like the Triwizard Cup? to take Cedric and go back to Hogwarts? Or like, why did Voldemort not appear to Harry at any time to just go kill him like he wanted to? Because he couldn't, because Hogwarts, he, first of all, he wasn't informed, he wasn't embodied until so after. Uh, and he couldn't, <coughs> so he couldn't, yeah, the, the charms around Hogwarts were too strong, except for a porky. Which seems like a weird loophole, but. I forgot about that. I think the porky in general is blocked off as well. Yeah. In two cases, we've seen it used in the grounds when Albus did it in his office in front of Fudge, which he didn't like too much. And when the Triwizard Tournament uh, went down, and so I don't think that... Since I think the cup was a porky, too, was at the beginning yeah. of the maze, and he just changed yeah, the location. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. so it, maybe there were some changes in the, the security because of that. And See, I think like, that porky was activated by touch, not time, because they didn't know when the they were going to get to the center, well, and so that's why it would just pop them back and forth. That's why I feel like it would pop them to the front. The person who wins would have been popped back to the, to the stand, to the winner's stand, holding the porky, yeah, holding the cup. But instead, that's why it was allowed, because they were in the center of the maze. And so that's why there was already a porky allowed. It was it was already lifted. Yeah. But Moody was able to change the location. Because oh, it was like a one-time spell. Yeah. And then once that spell was burnt, or spent, like, the porky behaved naturally. Because when he touched it again, it went back to Hogwarts. That's what I'm saying, like, it was actually probably just one spell just to send it to the graveyard, and so when he touched it, he touched it again, and it behaved like it normally should, just... You're right, because it went to the, you're right, it was like a disruption. Yeah. It went to the edge of the maze instead. Interesting. Boom. Yeah. Soft. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I just wanted to ask, uh, who you thought the cursed child was? Oh, um, we kind of skip over was, these obvious questions sometimes. Yes, yeah, I thought it was obvious. Yeah, of course. I would love to know for sure who that was too. But oh, who do we think it is? Before the, the player, afterward, it was his daughter. It was yeah, but there's an argument there. Was it Albus? Was it Scorpius, um, who's rumored yeah. to be cursed the entire play? I think it's a, I think it's a, just a clever title that it encompasses be. all of it. To be honest. Yeah. Honestly, it could be Harry. It's totally valid. It could be Voldemort. It could. It could be almost any of the people in the, the main characters, right? Yeah, they're all a little cursed. I'd say. Good question, though. Yeah, yeah. Good question. Great question. ingested a love potion, would he be like, <laughs> well, That would be hilarious. Yes. Let's talk about how love potions just cause infatuation. So, right. Yeah, it's, not, it's not real love. You so, can't, they haven't invented. Not to be yeah. a down on a question. So. No, but I feel like this. I like that. Like that question. What would happen? Imagine if it was like, Could you imagine? For either Harry oh. or Dumbledore. Right? Everything like, goes bizarro. The really sloppy drunks are like, I love you. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
it would cause him pain. Like, whenever Harry was feeling intense friendship or love feelings, Voldemort reacted in his car or in his self in the same way that Harry would react when Voldemort was feeling extreme hate or anger. And, uh, like, when that connection started to become more um, concentrated there towards the end with, with uh, in uh, closer to the Battle of Hogwarts, uh, you could see that happening a, a lot. And uh, whenever Harry would have his dreams um, of Voldemort, they would usually be following big, good things that happened for Harry to the point where Voldemort was aware of that connection. And uh, that was what, when Voldemort finally learned about this and was able to send Harry the false memories to get him to the Department of Mysteries in the first place. But those were like, he, like because he reacted to love in the same way that Harry reacted to Voldemort's hate, I would imagine that anything to do with those feelings would be poisonous to this incarnation of, of Voldemort. So even if the potion doesn't make you feel actual love, if it just triggers those parts of you that responds to feelings of love, then I would think that that should cause him pain. If you're right, that doesn't, those, those, those connections and those emotional centers are severed yeah. in him. It's not gonna react the same way. The same way like when it was in Ron, it was so over the top because Ron has those connections so strong, I think you're right. right. It like crisps his nerves or something. Yeah. Well, what is the chemical in the brain that responds Oxytocin? to... Yeah, was that right? Yeah. Um, so, what, whatever <laughs> would, in a normal person, make them feel more like bonding with another human or feeling love for another human, that probably is completely out of whack in his brain, and he just interprets that all that is, as, as pain. I mean, that's... Poor Belichick's not a love potion. I mean, if anything, maybe maybe Bellatrix came up with a potion that Try would make Voldemort feel artificial hate, which he would interpret as pleasure in that way, and that's what that's what got it working. I also going back to Bellatrix as like his baby carrier, like that would be really pleasurable to him because he'd be. Ensure like doing something for him while causing her discomfort and pain and, and like a terrible you know cause let's be honest pregnancy I'm sure is wonderful in many ways but your whole body gets affected and you know the pains of childbirth which I'm sure exists in wizarding yeah you know um, so it probably because he's such a he's such a sadistic person I mean when I heard that Voldemort had a child. First thing I thought was, I am so much more impressed with the magic that brought him back from the dead to think that he would have functioning, you know, reproductive organs. Well, that's what I, that's like, what I said. I said that I was like, if his world? nose has deteriorated, yeah, doesn't other non-bone parts? So, like, you would think, but it was like, snake-like. It wasn't, it wasn't decayed. It looked like a snake. I'm just saying, the parts of his body, like his ears and his nose, that don't have actual Well, it was just probably inside him, like a snake
when Harry's in diagonally and Hogsmeade, because there's no protective charms there, and he's not at the Dursleys. But Voldemort had no way of knowing when those things were happening, and in, in a lot of cases, he was under special protection by the Ministry at those times. And in Book 5, the whole point was he was denying that he came back, and so if he would just apparate out of nowhere to kill somebody, his whole secrecy campaign would have been gone. And also, like, when, when, when the world is in, is in real decay and the Ministry falls, they can't, they can't jump. And that's the, the house, the whole charm on the house protects everybody with these like, that's a very encompassing time. That's why he had to live there. Remember when they appeared in, in Hogsmeade and the wailing started going off? Like, there yeah. were charms, you know? Yeah. The best way for the Wizarding World to unite against Voldemort would have been for him to make Harry a martyr prematurely before he actually took care of the ministry. And so I think the question is less of, like, how could he have done that? I don't think he wanted to. Yeah. He wanted it to be special. He wanted to show utter Dude, mastery. It was weird, man. It was so weird. I want to kill Harry. Exactly At the, the way. end of the Tribe Wizard Tournament, I want him to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I want to kill him on my father's gravestone. Which, yeah. as you have pointed out, is hilarious. It was just a ten-foot Grim Reaper in the movie, yeah. Or this random kind I of jerky mother. I'm sorry. It's just no, weird. Yeah. It is weird. It is weird. It's I'm weird. apologizing to them. They're looking at me like... I and even after all of that, people still didn't believe Voldemort was back. <laughs> and you would think that, like, if you just killed him in a back alley somewhere, nobody would believe that Voldemort did it. And, like, they had this stage, this huge thing, and even that, and even with Dumbledore and Harry and all saying Voldemort's back, it still wasn't enough to convince everybody. Okay, this is a weird question. What do you all think would happen if you drank your own love potion that you brewed? I think you know. <laughs> probably be good for your self-esteem, I would imagine. Like, that would be probably... No, if you drink your own love potion, is it supposed to be the first person you see? So with Ron, it was the first person you saw? It wasn't that it, it was, was Ramel Devane, though, because it was... He, right, because she had, like, a piece of her hair in her or something. Yeah, so, like, she's saying in that context, if she would have eaten her own chocolate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Shopping spree. Probably make you a little... Shopping spree. It's like, treat yourself. Like yeah. Treat yourself. Right. Lots of ice cream. Lots of ice cream. Look at the mirror going, you are smart, you are special, and people appreciate you. What if you drink your own polyjuice potion? What if you drink polyjuice potion from a hair So Tumblr sometimes like 
just get just goes super viral because it's like a cool thing and everybody's like it becomes like Lord. No, no, not the same. Where could he get Nagini? Do we know? He's just in before. Albania. So but I mean like it was it was post Potter like Attack of the Potters. Yeah. Which would be the one like Stroll over Nagini. How do we know? How do we know this? I'm just asking. Uh, the first scene, don't know how to get me to look for, right? He says that that's where he has to stay. He talks about. He says that he's in the Albanian forest, but he doesn't say in his new snake, Bikini. Was Bikini always part of his. Nagini would be a Warcrux. He basically tells Harry that right. his mastery over small creatures or whatever, yada yada yada, is a for snakes, and then his friend Nagini. So Do you think so that he Nagini. befriended this snake when he was possessing some other snake, and they became friends because they were like able to talk to each other? Or do you think he possessed Nagini, and then before it would have died, he came out and then he just had a bond with the snake? Yeah. So he would have made it a Horcrux in book four. I think so, yeah. No. Okay. Or not, not in book four, in the flashback in book four. I always wondered when... Well, in book four, but not in the book four timelines. Like when Sirius is a dog, or when James is a stag, do they befriend the other dogs and the other deer? Like, can they communicate with them? Or like, will the other animals be um, suspicious? But I think the animals would be suspicious. That's what the rats never like to Serious and Crookshanks? Oh man, that's a show. Yeah, like Crookshanks. But yeah. he says Crookshanks knew immediately what I was. They can communicate. Yeah. But the animals know if they're not. The yeah, and then Crookshanks is really smart because he was half. Carl Pilkington once speculated that um, if he were a beetle and he was stuck living as a beetle, um, would he have a relationship with other beetles? Like, would he able to have a bond with other with other beetles, even if he had the mind of the current Carl in this beetle? And I would encourage you all to Google this because it's a wonderful conversation and very much on topic. Next question. <laughs> I have very clear opinions on that. <laughs> my, I'll go first. You seem like a very strong answer. I hate with a passion that I would eat in films. Oh, I, 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 I it. horrible I casting. I hate the look. The stupid eye patch when it's supposed to be like this eye that's in its head. I saw some illustrations from this guy named Dermot Power. He was a concept illustrator for the films. And he did like paintings of Matt Moody and they were terribly like scary and wonderful. And like it like part of his face like was it looked like it was scarred with dark magic. So this part was like almost just a thin layer of skin on the skull. And so that's where the eye socket sat in. It looked really cool. And then when I saw the movie, I was like, what? And like, and he's not scary. He's not like intimidating. He's just this odd, half-assed attempt at comic relief that I could like to the point where he actually died in the books. I was like, eh. like, it, and I hate that that happened. Like, I don't like interfered with your. Yeah, like I just yeah. I, like not I'm Moody in the in the in the, in the film universe. Favorite, uh, my favorite is in movie six when Harry is talking to Slughorn about the lily 
that turned into a fish. Uh, that was like, she, they accomplished so much in those two minutes that took like, uh, uh, you know, more in the books, just because, you know, we can do more in the books. Like, I just thought it was done so well. And I love how Hedwig died in the films better because it gave her agency. And I love the fact that when she protected Harry, that's how they found out who Harry was. Not because they heard him yell, that's great, yeah, yeah. So that was like, that's the Potter, get him. I thought that was done better in the movies, actually, than the books. That's really, that makes me feel emotional right now. Sorry. Right. Uh, uh, most of it. <laughs> what? Uh, I, I don't know. It, I think conceptually, I don't want to like pick out a, a specific scene or something that I feel wasn't adapted right. So I'll say two things. Marauder should have been in the films in a stronger way. Just the casual, the casual viewer would have gotten something out of it, not just us. You know what I mean? Um, would have. Secondly, I just think that, and it really has a lot to do with what you just said, Frank. The films should have treated Harry Potter like it actually was from start to finish. Um, you can go to the first chapter. Um, this is a, a very real story with darkness and uh, truths in the world. Death is a huge part of the, of the story from the very beginning to the very end. And there's also a lot of really great stuff too. Love and absolutely none of it, none of her writing is cartoony at all. And I think that uh, Riddle's Grave, Moody's portrayal, a lot of it is pretty good and it's an analogous to the whole way the films were adapted. And we talked about it on the last podcast episode. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it was a uh, released at the time that it was in the entertainment, and uh, I think the bravery wasn't quite there yet for fantasy adaptation to be so gritted in reality. I think that they felt like they needed to appeal to kids almost like in a Disney way and sell tickets and make a lot of money and hopefully you know, make this as big as it possibly can be. And I think that with David Yates being added on for the last films, I think that they tried to kind of shy away from it, but I feel like the damage had been done. The kind of the kind of universe that they married me and Harry Potter into in their early films and really continued through all of it, um, it, could, it, it couldn't be rescued in that way. And so That's what feels different about Fantastic Beasts. I can't wait to see it. But that's what it is, guys. Like, I really think that as, as the largest disservice to the story is uh, not taking it as seriously as it actually was. I feel like I got nothing. No, I mean, the, 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 there's so many wonderful things that happen in the films because it, it is an adaptation of Harry Potter. I think the, the, uh, uh, the Forest of Dean sequence was pretty amazing. Yeah. was pretty amazing. Deathly House Part 1 was pretty amazing um, in, in parts. So I would say that or... Uh, yeah, Three Brothers Sketch. Oh, that's so unique. That was real good. Quid- Quidditch was pretty good, minus the World Cup. Yeah. Minus Jenny not knowing what Quidditch was or who players were. Yeah. Jenny just got butchered. Oh, and they, explain that to me. I just don't get why. They didn't spend any time on her. They just treated her very casually. Who's that? I don't know. I, the scriptwriter, the director, the, all the. So well, that kind of leads into my thing that I'm going to go ahead and say that I, I don't like so much. And that you could back it up to say just some people's relationships with Harry in general, but the one I was going to focus on was Dumbledore. And I remember when these movies were coming out, the thing that I used to get most annoyed about is the way that they would wrap things up and completely omit the part of the books where Dumbledore actually would talk to Harry afterward and help him in 
know, comprehend what just happened to him and kind of put it all in context. And the silly, you know, Michael Gambon uh, Dumbledore that we got, yeah, he, he got a lot of the fun, whimsical, you know, little, you know, flair to Dumbledore down, but the serious side of Dumbledore that we had, you know, earlier, and that is in the books, and the side of Dumbledore that really cares about Harry, like like family, and in this really complicated relationship that he has for Harry, where he cares about him, but he also knows how important he is, but he feels conflicted that he is in many ways using this boy to help the greater good, and all of these things, like, is, is completely absent, even all the way up through, you know, the King's Cross scene, and how he interacts with him there, and I feel like it's such a powerful, uh, such a powerful relationship that uh, maybe it was too difficult for them to, um, to really put in there, but I felt like in some ways they just didn't even try, like in the end of, uh, what was it, uh, Azkaban, where he's just kind of like, you know, kind of makes a joke and walks downstairs instead of yeah. really talking to him, or like, you know, when Voldemort comes back. What's your favorite? My favorite, I think, you know, it's so hard to pick, but... Sorcerer's Stone, when we yeah. were introduced to magic, when we were introduced to Hogwarts, because I think in a lot of ways in the films, Hogwarts is my favorite character. Yeah. Um, and just all of the magic therein. And when we got to go to Hogwarts for the first time, and we got to go, you know, on the little boats with everybody, and just seeing all of this realized. Like, I think when I watched the film for the first time, and that was prior to having read any books, um, that was what really grabbed me. We're super over time. Um, okay. I'm going to answer real fast. It's two, it's two portrayals for me, and nothing to do with, well, the negative one has nothing to do with the actor portraying it. I think they butchered Hermione, yeah. I think. Yeah. And it's a super disservice to the, to the beautiful, flawed, wonderful character that she is. Nothing to do with Emma Watson. It's, it's about how at the service of making Hermione ideal, they made Ron a shell. And so that's two characters. And, you know, they have their funny moments, but there is no reason to be literally zero for Hermione to get the, if you want to kill Harry, you have to go in front of us, for Hermione to start saying fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself at 12 years old, for her to jump on Buckbeak when it was Harry's idea and she hates flying. Those those decisions were nonsensical to me because they are just sucking all the good things from the other characters. And like, what, like, Hermione's amazing and flawed and wonderful and not airbrushed and ideal and perfect and that's what makes her wonderful. Um, the thing I think at this moment is my favorite is uh, Alan Rickman's portrayal of Satan. And that's how I'll